can open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 50. Now, uh, bear with me. I, I got a lot to share tonight, and hopefully I'll get it done at a decent time. You will be home before midnight, but um, I just felt like I just needed to put all of this in here to give Joseph a, a, a send-off here as we finish our study on Joseph. But tonight it's about the burials of Jacob and Joseph. Chapter 50 covers the last half of Joseph's life. And there were three important things covered in this chapter. One, the death of Joseph's father in verses 1 through 4. Second, the pardon of Joseph's ten older brothers in verses 15 through 21. And then third, Joseph's profession of faith made at the time of his death in verses 22 through 26. And these three events just mentioned showed in a very distinct way the, the, uh, Joseph's godly character, a godliness that he's demonstrated his whole life. Joseph lived a godly life no matter what the situation was, even in the last events of his life. Joseph finished well. Amen. May that be our prayer. You know, it's not how far we've gone. It's how well we finish. And that's what we have to look at. So after Jacob blessed his 12 sons, in chapter 49, verse 33, it says there that he drew his feet up into the bed and he breathed his last. And then here in chapter 50, verse 1, it says, Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Joseph's love and loyalty, man, it, it, it far exceeded the love and the loyalty of his ten brothers that they had for their father Jacob. Or they would have never mistreated Joseph the way that they did. The relationship between the son and the father greatly affects the relationship of the sons to each other. So the ugliness that some believers treat one another with gives away the fact that they have a very poor relationship with the heavenly father. Jacob died at 147 years old. He went to Egypt when he was 130. So he lived in Egypt for 17 years. And it's really interesting that Jacob lived in Egypt for 17 years because <clears throat> it means that Jacob had two 17-year periods with Joseph. Both of these 17-year periods have some really remarkable similarities that emphasize giving back, giving in return for what you have received. And they show Joseph's godly character in that he lovingly and faithfully gave back in the second 17 years of what his father Jacob had done for him in his first 17 years. First, there was the similarity of joy. The first similarity was joy. Because the first 17 years started with the birth of Joseph. Back in chapter 30, Jacob and Rachel, his favorite wife, were childless for many years, ever since they were married. But Joseph's birth to Jacob and Rachel ended the sorrow and the shame that came with childlessness and brought great rejoicing in his place. Now, the second 17-year period started when Joseph and Jacob were reunited after many years of a very sad separation. And this reunion turned great heartache into great happiness. The joy that Jacob and Joseph experienced at the beginning of the second 17-year period had to be you know, extremely joyful, extremely wonderful. The giving back, in this similarity is that in the first 17 years, Jacob, being Joseph's father, 
was responsible for bringing Joseph into the world, which made a, a joyous fellowship together possible. In the second, teen year, second 17 years, Joseph, by his orders, was responsible for bringing uh, Jacob into Egypt so that they could have a joyous fellowship together again after a long separation. The second similarity was provision. In each of these 17-year periods, one provided for the other because of their age. Okay? And they couldn't provide adequately for himself. During the first 17 years, Jacob provided for Joseph, who, because he was young, couldn't provide for himself, which is a father does. He provided for his children you know, when they're, they're younger because they can't provide for themselves. But during the second 17 years, Joseph gave back to his father by providing for Jacob, who, because of his old age, couldn't provide for himself during that great famine. The third similarity is honor. Each of these 17-year periods had one giving special honor to the other, whom they greatly loved. In the first 17 years, Jacob gave Joseph, whom he greatly loved, remember the coat of many colors, which put great honor on Joseph. In the second 17 years, Joseph, uh, uh, Joseph gave back by giving Jacob, who he greatly loved, the great honor of having meeting the king of Egypt. Later on, in focusing on Jacob's funeral, we're going to see more of the honors that came to Jacob because of Joseph. Here right now, we simply see special honor that they gave each other. The fourth similarity was mourning. Each of these 17-year periods ended in mourning. The first 17 years ended when Joseph was sold into slavery by his 10 older brothers. The brothers, remember, in covering up their evil deed, led Jacob to believe that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. And this caused Jacob to mourn for many days, according to chapter 37, verse 34. But the second 17 years ended when Jacob died. And as Jacob had mourned many days for Joseph at the end of the first 17-year period, now Joseph mourned for many days for his father Jacob at the end of the 17-year period in chapters 50 here, verses 1 through 3. Look at verses 1 through 3 now. Then Joseph fell on his father's face, and he wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are there days required for those who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. So these godly acts of Joseph in giving back his father's love care and honor are the opposite of a lot of gross selfishness which is so evident today our society seems mostly all take and little give a lot of hands are out to receive but not many hands are out to give the philosophy uh, philosophy of the world that it holds today is entitlement the world owes me they want others to love them and to take care of them and to honor them but when it comes to them, they turn away totally, not interested. This attitude is seen in the way we deal with God many times. Many people seem to think that the blessings of God are a one-way street and that God is responsible to keep on blessing me over and over and over again, no matter you know, that they don't return the blessings to others. But when trouble comes, man, they complain to God, they blame God for their problems. And they wonder, again, how can God treat us so badly? 
It never seems to cross their minds that maybe God is trying to show them that he would like some love and honor in return. Jacob gave generously to Joseph. And when Joseph had the chance, he gave back to Jacob just as generously. This is gratitude. It's sensible and it's character. And it's a sign of a true saint. Jacob was greatly honored when he died. Jacob was honored in three ways. First, with money. Joseph was in a position where he could provide for Jacob with an elaborate and honorable funeral. And that's exactly what Joseph did. Now, again, this doesn't mean that we have to go all out and spend a lot of money on a funeral. But Joseph had the ability to do that. Joseph spent, notice, according to what it was possible for him to do. The second way that Jacob was greatly honored was in mourning. The Egyptians honored Jacob too by mourning for him, it says in verse 3, for 70 days. Now the historian uh, Diodorus Seculus said Egyptians would mourn for their kings for 72 days. So Jacob was given great honor because they mourned only two days less for uh, for Jacob than they did for their own kings. The third way Jacob was greatly honored was with the multitude of people that were at his funeral. Now, when the official mourning period was over, Joseph had Jacob's body taken to Canaan to be buried as his father requested. And the followers that followed Joseph to Canaan to mourn for Jacob at his burial also provided great honor for Jacob. Listen to what it says in verse 9. It says the followers, notice, was a very great gathering. And verses 7 through 9, let's look at 7 through 9. It says, So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh and the elders of his house and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's house. Only their little ones, their flocks and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. Look at verse 9. It says, And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. This crowd, it must have been quite a scene, quite a thing to see as they traveled to Canaan to honor Jacob at his burial. The Canaanites were so blown away that they named a field uh, in honor of the occasion. Look at verse 11. Well, let's look at verse 10 through 11. Then they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, and they mourned there with great and very solemn uh, lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father. Verse 11. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, it is, its name was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. So the larger the crowd at the funeral, the greater honor it was to his father. And that's the way it was with burials in that day. Man, when you, if you had a lot of people there at the funeral and there were a lot of mourners, it was, a, it was a great honor for that person who was being, you know, who was being uh, buried. So again, Joseph made sure of proper honor given to his father's passing. And the Egyptians made sure that Jacob was greatly honored because of the respect for Joseph. So this is a good lesson about the behavior of God's children and how it reflects on the honor that's given to God the Father. The child of God should live in such a way that others will honor the Heavenly Father. The Egyptians honored Jacob because of the way Joseph lived. You see, Joseph's godly behavior all through the years, 
even when he was despised, eventually caused others to want to glorify his father. The behavior of God's children should also lead others to exalt, to lift up their heavenly father. But when God's children sin, they won't bring honor to God, nor will they cause others to want to honor God. Now the ten older brothers who lived such, a, such wicked lives, they for sure did not honor Jacob, their father, by the way they lived. They brought their father anxiety, they brought grief to him, they brought him discouragement and frustration, but no honor. When David's, when David's behavior was bad, he didn't honor God either. And when he sinned with Bathsheba and in dealing with Uriah, the prophet Nathan, Nathan said to David, because by this deed you, David, have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. When we behave ungodly lives, especially when we say we're Christians, they, they just love to say, huh, that's another Christian for you. And then they begin to blaspheme the Lord. Question is, how do we live today? Does it result in the name of God being blessed or blasphemed? If you want to honor your heavenly father, you'll have to live a godly life like Joseph. The backslidden, the delinquent child of God is a disgrace to God. They do not honor God. But Jacob's passing caused the ten older brothers to panic. Why? Because with Jacob gone now, they were afraid of Joseph. Verse 15, notice what it says. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. They thought about this. You know, and, and they thought about it even after they saw how Joseph treated them when they got back to Egypt and he, he revealed himself to his brothers. Even though his, Joseph had pardoned them years earlier, and even though Joseph had shown him the genuineness and the permanency of his forgiveness over the years by his affectionate care for them, they still felt this guilt, this worry. You know, what this shows us is the misery of sinners. It had been almost 40 years since his brothers had done this terrible thing to Joseph. And yet, notice, they were still in misery over what they had done. They were still feeling the guilt for what they had done after 40 years. This memory of what they had done was continually haunting them, causing them to be afraid of Joseph, but for no reason. But that's what sin does. Sin is a terrible master. A person may experience some pleasure and profit, you know, from the evil things that they do, but pretty soon they'll find out that the pleasure of sin is just for a moment. But the consequences can last a lifetime. The brothers did get some pleasure in getting rid of Joseph. Man, he's finally out of our lives. This dreamer, this, you know, this, 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 this nut, and, you know, and all this stuff that he's talking. He's gone. We're happy. But that pleasure turned into pain, remembering that it caused them, remembering what had happened caused them a lot of grief. And you see that, you should think about these revealing truths about sin often. So that when you're tempted to sin, you won't be deceived to, to defile yourself in that sin and then years later suffer the guilt and the despair of that sin. sin Satan advertises sin so cleverly. And, and he's good at it and he deceives many. But what we need to realize is no matter how sin is presented, it's a lie. 
And Numbers, 20, Numbers 32, 23 says, For sure, your sin will find you out. Your sin will be exposed. Sin also causes sinners to be afraid to trust. Even though it, was, it had been 17 years since Joseph had forgiven them and, that he, and, 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 and lovingly and faithfully taken care of them, the 10 older brothers were still afraid that he was going to get even with them. They didn't totally trust Joseph, which is pretty sad. And it's not Joseph's fault that they don't trust him. But that's the consequence of the nature of sin and the nature of his brothers, his evil brothers. It was their evil nature as well. See, sin does not create trust in others. Sin kind of has this built-in retaliation idea. It's built in. You know, when, 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 when somebody messes with us, we want to retaliate. And that's the thought process that the brothers are going through. Man, we messed up our brother, man. Now that dad's gone, guess what? He's probably going to get even with us. The nature of sin is to produce a fear in you. A fear that you are going to get paid, you're going to get paid for, you're going to, they're going to get, uh, revenge is going to be taken out on you. You're going to pay for what you did. It's a fear of judgment. We call it guilt. It's a fear that payback is coming for the sinful thing that we did. So the brothers were afraid here. They feared judging because of their sin. And sooner or later, all will feel this fear about their sin. And, you know, and there, you know we, we can look back at times, maybe, maybe not, but at things that we did in the past and just, just shudder to think about what was done and, and what could have happened, but, and, and just guilt over things that have been done in the past. Every mocker of sin, every harsh, sinful soul, every wrongdoer, even though they look bold and they're, like, they're not bothered, and they're not unconcerned by their sin, sooner or later will be attacked by this fear. Matthew Poole said this, Guilt doth so awaken fear, guilt doth so awaken fear that it makes a man never to think himself secure. Matthew Henry said, A guilty conscience exposes men to continual frights, even where no, uh, where no fear is, and makes him suspicious of everybody. And someone said, some criminals have said that their evil so haunts them that they're always looking over their shoulder in fear they are being followed by the law. They don't trust any situation or person. Remember Cain when he murdered his brother Abel? Cain also felt this revenge, this fear of revenge. And he, and he told it to God. He said in Genesis 4.14, it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Another reason why his brothers didn't trust Joseph is because they knew their own nature. See, they were thinking about what they would think, what they would do. Man, if somebody did that to me, I'd sure get back at them. They thought about Joseph the way they thought about themselves. If I was Joseph, man, I'd get even too. Because of their own betrayal of Joseph and their cruelty and their lies, not trusting Joseph's act of kindness and forgiveness, they still held on to their fear of him. They foolishly judged Joseph because of their own evil hearts. Solomon said in Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no one pursues them. The wicked flee when nobody pursues them. The unreasonable fear of the sinner comes partly from his own troubled conscience. You see, their conscience won't let them sin without warning him of the consequences. 
partly from the judgment of God, according to the threats condemned in Leviticus 26, verses 36 through 37. Listen to what it says there. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. And for those of you who survive, I will demoralize you in the land of your enemies. You'll live in such fear that the sound of a leaf driven by the wind will send you fleeing. You'll run as if you were fleeing from a sword, and you'll fall even when no one's chasing you. Though no one is chasing you, you'll stumble over each other as though fleeing from a sword. You'll have no power to stand up against your enemies. You see, man has this, whatever you want to call it, this monitor, this built-in accuser of right and wrong in their own conscience, and they can't get rid of it. It never goes away. It goes with them everywhere they go. Why? God put it there. That's why we have the, the conscience of right and wrong. God put it there. And just like it would be impossible to run from himself, man can't get away from that built-in accuser. Wherever he goes, he's pestered by it. And the only cure is a clear conscience due to a clean and Christ-filled heart. But Joseph didn't have any intention of retaliating. Joseph had mercy for his brothers, just like Jesus has mercy for sinners. But in their fear, in, in Joseph's brothers' fear, what they did, they sent a messenger to Joseph, all right? And this messenger was to give Joseph a message that they said was coming from their father. And if you look at verses 16 and 17, notice what it says. This message to Joseph from this messenger that his brother sent says, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. So Joseph was to think that this was coming from his dad, speaking up for his brothers. And it says, when Joseph got this message, verse 17 says, notice that Joseph wept. Wept, he was sad. Because they still didn't believe him. That broke his heart. You know, thinking that they had so little faith in him. It should have been a happy time because Joseph wanted to take care of his brothers. He wanted to bless them, but they were afraid of him. They weren't happy at all about this. But Joseph did more than cry. He immediately assured them that he forgave them. Notice he said in verse 21, he said, do not be, I'm sorry, in verse 19, he said, do not be afraid. He said in verse 21, I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Joseph had truly forgiven them for what they had done. Again, this is the picture of the amazing work of grace, which the gospel so passionately declares. Grace, man, grace forgives the worst of sinners. That's why it's called amazing grace. Because when you come to Jesus and you sincerely repent and say you're sorry of your sin, no matter how great it is, God will forgive you. That is so amazing grace. God forgives the worst of sinners. As Paul said, the grace of God will keep him from judgment forever. Paul said, man, I, I was the chief of sinners. I was the worst of them all. And yet the grace of God saved me. But the, here, here's, here's a problem with some people. They think they have sinned too, too greatly. They think they've done something so, so bad that they can't be saved. They think that sooner or later God's going to judge them. But what they need to know is it's not how greatly one has sinned, but how great Jesus' mercy is. 
Hebrews 7, 25 says, For he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. God is able to save those who come to God through his son, Jesus Christ. But for some people, grace is wonderful, but they think it's not lasting. Some people feel that grace can't keep them saved when when they think about the great sin that they've committed or how great their sin was. They're afraid that they're going to lose his grace and that God's going to judge them, that God's wrath is going to come upon them. But they need to remember that they were saved by grace and not by works. They were saved by what God did, not by their goodness. We're not forgiven because we're good. Because if that was the case, we wouldn't need forgiveness. Jesus wouldn't have had to go to the cross. Now we're going to look at Joseph's faith in his last days. Joseph had a great faith, especially when he didn't have the great advantages that we have today. Joseph didn't have a complete Bible. He didn't have as full of a revelation of God as man is blessed with and as man enjoys today. But Joseph still had a great profession of faith anyway. Joseph only had a few revelations that uh, that God gave him, and those revelations came from dreams, and they came from his father Jacob. But what little light Joseph did have, man, he took full advantage of it, and he developed a great faith by it. But unlike Joseph... People today have, have such great resources, man. We have the Word of God. We have, you know, Bible studies, and we have seminars and conferences and great teachers, and, and, and you know, we have as much as we want. But they're, they're not good stewards of those great spiritual privileges. So one day the judgment that will come upon man uh, will be greater today because he had so much light to walk in. But he ignored it, didn't pay any attention to it. We're going to look at the worth of Joseph's faith. Look at verses 24 and 25. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Joseph's faith wasn't a secret. Joseph was not a closet Christian. He didn't hide his faith. He made it public. He wasn't afraid to talk to people about his faith. He spoke about his faith even when he was young and at home. And he spoke about his faith in Potiphar's house. He spoke about his faith when he was in prison. He spoke about his faith when he was in the king's palace. Wherever he went. He spoke about his faith when he was in the lowest of position and when he was in the highest of positions. He spoke in bad times. He spoke in good times. Faith should be seen and it should be spoken of. Man, we, we see a lot of people right t- today, not right, especially because you know it, it's the voting time, you see a lot of politicians, maybe not a lot, but you see a few of them, speak about having faith. Why? Hey, they want you to believe they have faith in effort to get the church's vote. But they don't show their faith in the policies that they promote. Many of the policies they promote are totally unbiblical. They're ungodly. And the first one I think of right now is Gavin Newsom. In his billboards, 
and support for abortion. He quoted Mark 12, 31. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is a twisting of the word of God and, it, and it, I, I say it falls on the edge of blasphemous, blasphemy of the use of God's word. To get something, to get a desired end. Using God's word to get what he wants. Totally out of context. Again, using the scripture to support his legislation, hit what he wants. Proverbs 6, 6, 19, 16, 19 says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. The hands that shed innocent blood. And he's going to use scripture to say, Love your neighbor as yourself. What about that innocent blood that's being shed? Psalm 94, 21 says, They gather together against the life of the righteous... And that's what the world is doing. They're gathering together against the life of the righteous and they condemn innocent blood. In other words, they gang up against the righteous and they condemn the innocent to death. Exodus 23, 7 says, Do not kill the innocent and the righteous, for I will not justify the wicked, God said. Don't kill the innocent and the righteous because I will not justify those who do that. Proverbs 31, 8 says, Open your mouth for the speechless. Speak up for those who can't defend themselves. It says, in the cause of all who are appointed to die. That's heavy. Open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. And you know how to do that? You vote against the abortion bill. The one that Newsom is so proudly advertising on TV to vote for Prop 1. It's being written in the California Constitution that all abortion is legal and you could come here, we're going to take care of you because we're going to love our neighbor as ourself. We are to live in such a way that people know without a doubt where we stand regarding Jesus Christ and his word. Joseph's faith was also believable. Look at verses 24 and 25 again. God will surely visit you. God will surely, not maybe, God will surely visit you. He was, Joseph was being dogmatic. He was being unyielding, uncompromising about, he was saying, there were no ands, ifs, or buts with Joseph uh, standing upon the word of God. No ands, ifs, or buts about his conviction. People say you can't be dogmatic about God's word. Yes, you can. You better be. It's God's word. It's God's word. But people don't like it when you're dogmatic. But God never, God never said we are to please the flesh. He says we're to crucify the flesh and we're to proclaim the faith. Joseph's faith was godly faith. Look at verse 24 again. When Joseph declared his faith, he spoke highly of God. In verse 24, he said, God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Man, this was a great witness to the faithfulness of God by Joseph. It said what God said that he was going to do, he would do. You can't honor God without honoring his word. Numbers, 13, Numbers 23, 19 said, God is not a man that he should lie. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1, 2, God cannot lie. 
The unbeliever dishonors God when he says we can't believe the Bible. What he's saying is we can't rely on what God says. That's blasphemy. Joseph's profession of faith was patient. Faith is always patient, waiting for God. Joseph told his brothers they were to take his bones back to Canaan in verse 25. Notice that. Take my bones. He didn't say my body. What does that say? Well, it would take time for his, his body to turn into bones. So that was a waiting time. He said, take my bones back to Canaan, not my body. He knew it was going to take some time. This meant when the Israelites made it to Canaan, which was some years away, but this, this didn't discourage Joseph's faith. He still trusted God, and he would wait for him. We need to do the same thing today. Some believers won't obey God in living by faith because God doesn't do for them what they want him to do right away. That is, if God doesn't answer a prayer right away, some even forsake God. They have no patience in their faith. Some ask for a specific thing or specific things, and, and then because God doesn't answer the, the very next day, they blame God for breaking his promises. But these people need to remember, Joseph said, take my bones, not my body. He would stay by God no matter how long he had to wait. He knew God's time was best and that his faith would patiently wait on God. The psalmist said in Psalm 1, and five, truly, uh, Psalm uh, one uh, and five. He said, "Truly, my soul silently waits for God. My soul waits silently for God alone. For my expectation is from Him." Joseph's profession of faith gave a command to his brothers. He gave a commandment concerning his bones. He said, "Carry up my bones from here. That is, carry up my bones when you leave Egypt and you go to Canaan. Take my bones with you." Let's see what that command entails. First of all, Joseph's command was instructive. Joseph's order in verse 25 was to be put into action. What he told them to do was to be carried out. It says faith will affect the way that we live. Truly what we believe determines the way we behave, whether we believe it or not. God said it. Maybe I don't understand it, but I'm carrying it out because God said it. Joseph made a profession of faith about the future and the loyalty of his faith was proven in the command that he gave his brothers, take my bones to Canaan. Some people talk about their faith in God, but we never see it in their behavior. Many people will agree with the doctrine, but they won't agree to it in the way they live. Joseph not only expressed his faith by mouth, but he also expressed it by the way that he lived, and we need to do the same thing. Second, we see in Joseph's command, there was encouragement. It was encouraging to those Israelites who had been tested, that is, who had been persecuted in Egypt. Joseph's coffin, in verse 26, or, or mummy case, whatever you want to call it, when they saw that coffin, it would give them great encouragement when they continued to be persecuted. Because Joseph's bones declared that God was going to deliver his persecuted people from Egypt. His bones were crying out, hey guys, relief is coming. When things got rough, the Israelites would find comfort in walking by Joseph's coffin and remembering, hey, it was a testimony of future deliverance that these bones are going to be carried to Canaan. Joseph's, bone, Joseph's bones weren't just a testimony to Joseph's faith. 
but they were also a message to Joseph's companions to encourage them to keep on going and to increase their faith in God. The bones gave hope. They gave encouragement. And you see, that's what faith does. It gives encouragement. But the work of unbelief takes away hope, and it discourages us. It offers nothing to bring real comfort to our heart. But Joseph, to the very end, man, he was a great encouragement, and he was a great comfort to his people. Why? Because of his faith. We have to ask ourselves, what are we to those around us? Are we a comfort to them or a discomfort? What you are tells us about the character of your faith. Third, Joseph's command was corrective. These bones would be an encouragement to stir them up and a rebuke to those who were tempted to settle down and stay in Egypt, which is a type of the world. The bones would encourage them to set their affection on better things than the leeks and the onions and the garlics of Egypt. Now, Joseph prospered in Egypt. He, was, he did well in Egypt. Joseph had wealth in Egypt. He had, he had position. He had possessions. He was popular there. He had prestige and he had power. But you know what? That's not where his heart was. He had his heart set on better things like the promises of God. Outwardly, he was an Egyptian with a high position. Inwardly, he was truly an Israelite. You see, faith tells us we're only pilgrims in this world. We're only passing through here. We're strangers here. And God has a better place for us, a place that faith is more interested in. Joseph's profession of faith also carries out orders. Joseph's orders were carried out when Israel left Egypt many years later after Joseph died. In Exodus 13, 19, it reads, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. Joshua 24, 32 says, When the Israelites got to Canaan, the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem. Notice the fulfillment of God's word. His bones were carried out of Egypt to Canaan. So the influence of, jo of Joseph's faith, it continued down through the years of Israel's history after he died. And it was a great influence after all. You see, Joseph's influence caused Israel's eyes to look up to God in faith. And it produced many works among them. Works that honored God, that honored God's words. That's what faith always does. Faith causes us to look up to God in faith, and it, and it produces many works that honor God's words. And its influence, it never stops. And it's always good for those around us. Unbelief, on the other hand, hey, that's a different story. Generation after generation will also be cursed by the unbelief of those who have gone before them. I mean, look at the great blessings that, that the men of faith have left for us, like, like Martin Luther and Matthew Henry, Charles Spurgeon, Dwight Moody, and many others. They have been a great blessing, and they still are today a great blessing. And again, the question is, what kind of influence are we going to leave behind? Is the world going to be a better place or a worse place? 
This profession of Joseph's faith, which takes up only a few verses at the end of Genesis here, is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. Listen to what Hebrews eleven twenty-two says about Joseph here. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Notice that. Way down in history, later on, in Hebrews, it would be entered there about Joseph's faith and the instructions he gave about taking his bones out of Egypt to, to Canaan. Of all the things that Joseph did as a result of his faith, the Holy Spirit pointed out his faith. Notice, not what he did, but his faith, because his faith was the reason he did those things. The Holy Spirit pointed out his faith to encourage those who are fearful, those who are wavering, and those who are doubtful. The Holy Spirit, you know, highlighted, emphasized, pointed out Joseph using him as an outstanding example of the effectiveness of faith. And he used Joseph, an example of like I said, effectiveness of faith, to carry out and ultimately lead him into the promised inheritance. All the people and their deeds mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, we know it as the, as the, the chapter of faith or the hall of faith. All of those people, everything they did, those mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, also tell us about how God judges our works. Nothing gives God more pleasure than man's faith in him because it's through our faith that we carry out the works. Hebrews eleven six 6 says that, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's pretty heavy. Notice it says it's, it's impossible to please God. It's not just difficult, it's impossible to please God without faith. The thing that pleased God so much about Joseph was he believed God. And this profession of faith at the end of Joseph's life, it shows how enduring and stable his faith was. Joseph's faith is what helped him to survive every trial it was his faith that helped him to survive every difficulty and to pass every test. Joseph lived his faith right to the very end. And that's what Jesus said, those who endure to the end shall be saved. Those who endure to the end shall be saved. Those who endure, that is evidence that they are saved. Enduring to the end. We might do many good things, many good deeds in this life. And men will say, hey, well done. But if we want to hear God's well done, we need to walk by faith in God. Faith is the nature or the quality of a true saint. Joseph was truly a saint. And the way he lived proved it in many ways. And if you want to know how a saint should act in different situations... Study Joseph's life. Look at Joseph's life. Let's close with verse 26. Hey, I got you out of here before midnight. Verse 26, it says, Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So Joseph was 110 when he died. 
But his death, man, it didn't end his influence. It can be said of Joseph, Hebrews 11:4, he being dead still speaks. And the words, a coffin in Egypt, I mean, you know, it, it, sounds, it sounds so final. You know, being put in a coffin sounds like the end. It's over, put, it, it's final. And it seems like a, again, the way it says, he was put in a coffin in Egypt. That wonderful story. I mean, it, it sounds like a, 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 a tough way or a, a sad way to close a book on Joseph's life. But here's the thing. Looking at it from faith's viewpoint, it couldn't be more encouraging. Because when we're put in a coffin, unless we go in the rapture, hey man, our next step is with the Lord. That's encouraging. That's promising. It's not the end. It's just the beginning of eternal life in heaven. Even though Joseph was dead, his witness was still going on. It's going on right now as we're studying him. John Wesley said, God buries his workmen, but his work goes on. And the apostle John wrote this in 1 John 2, 17. He who does the will of God abides forever. And I'll finish with a quote from G. Campbell Morgan. He said, commit your life to God. See vision. Do the works that's nearest the work that he appoints. Truly and well and faithfully. Die knowing that you have started Die knowing that you have started delicate influences, dynamic forces which will proceed through every succeeding generation until they gather up the harvest of, glor of the glorious result about the throne of the eternal. The man or woman of God has not finished his or her work in the world when they put them in the coffin. Joseph is still blessing us today, ever, uh, forever, as we study his life. Father, again, we thank you this time that we've had in the study of Joseph, Lord. Father, I, I, again, I pray that there's so much to glean from Joseph's life that, again, that we'd go over it, that your people would go over it again and just taking their time, Father. And I, and I pray that, um, that the time that we had in Joseph, God, blessed your people and that we learn from it, God, and will, it would help us to grow and become increased in our faith, Lord. And, and God, um, again, just...